Pastor Xavier Reese reveals the simple truths of spiritual life-giving essentials. Prayer and the Word, as we see, are the two life-transforming twins in the New Testament. The importance of prayer in the believer's life is undeniable, both from Scripture and from personal experience in life. And the importance of the Word in the believer's life is invaluable. Without the Word, you don't know what pleases God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. How long can you hold your breath? How often do you need food? Well, it's only obvious that you won't last too long if you go without air and food. In the same way, Christians cannot expect to function without certain items that are essential to living a fulfilled life. And we've been learning of the two most vital elements to spiritual health— prayer, and the Word of God. Let's pick up the discussion right where Pastor Xavier left off last time in his series of the simple truths of the nature of the church. Now, Jesus was asked by his disciples to teach them how to pray. In Matthew 6, 5 through 13, Jesus gave the example of what usually is called the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord could have never prayed that prayer because in that prayer you're asking forgiveness of sins and he had no sin. It's a model prayer just to teach us what our prayer should contain. Provisions, forgiveness, recognizing that he's our father in heaven, he's holy, we're not, a complete dependency upon him. So prayer is not to be used to bring attention to myself like the hypocrites standing in the corner of the Pharisees or the synagogue. Jesus made that very clear there in Matthew 6 5. Prayer is not for man's ears, but for God's ears in secret in that room, in that closet. Verse 6 tells us, and prayer is not to be vain repetition, verse 7 tells us. Now, I came out of the Catholic background, so I prayed our fathers and Hail Mary's repetitions just like a parrot, thinking that, you know, God would hear me in my repetition. It was meaningless. I knew it by heart. You're looking around, you're still saying it, you know, whatever. But prayer is from the heart. When you speak to somebody, you speak from the heart. Prayer is not informing God about something. He knows everything, verse 8 says. And prayer is marked by certain characteristics from verse 8 to 13 of Matthew 6. And 9, and 8 there, our relationship, his dwelling, and his holiness. Our Father who art in heaven, holy be your name. That your kingdom come, that will be done. So we know he's holy. God's kingdom is to come and his will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So his will is primary for my life in prayer, not my own. In verse 11, our dependency for our daily bread. Now we can go to the store and we, don't, we can say, well, I don't need to pray to God. I can go to the store. But do you thank God and say, Lord, provide for my needs? Though we can go to the store, though we can do different things, but I still need to depend on the Lord and thank him for those things. You understand? Very important. God's forgiveness for our sins in verse 12. As we come to him, be on guard for those who teach that you no longer have to ask forgiveness for sins after salvation. Sometimes, once in a while, teachers will come up and start teaching that doctrine. 
that once you were forgiven, he's forgiven you for all your sins. And they'll say, because where were all your sins? In the future, in the past. He's forgiven them all. So you don't have to ask forgiveness anymore. It's taken care of. The Bible doesn't teach that. I ask forgiveness when I repent, and he makes me brand new. He makes me a child of God. But to stay in fellowship when I stumble and fall, I need to confess and stay in fellowship, right? Simple. So be careful of that doctrine. It comes every once in a while. Forgiveness for sins is for salvation. Forgiveness after salvation is for ongoing fellowship. And 1 John 2, 1 is very clear on that. Our deliverance from evil or the evil one, Satan, is found in verse 13, the first portion. Because he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's a deceiver. He's the God of this world. He will always come back at a more opportune time even as he did with Jesus after the wilderness testing. Prayers to the Father in the name of Jesus. Very important. Not in Mary's name, not in Peter's name, not in anything else. Not in contemplative prayer like the emergent church that I said, which says anyone can have access to God and encounter God, bringing one's mind to a point of silence or emptiness. That's not what the Bible teaches the emergent church says anybody can have a God experience. So they're all inclusive. The Bible is very exclusive. The Bible says who does, whoever does not believe in Jesus Christ, whoever has not repented from their sins in the name of Jesus Christ, has no access to God. Are you clear on that? There is no other name whereby men must be saved. There is no other mediator. There is no other way, no other truth. You cannot make it broader. You cannot be all-inclusive. God died for the whole world, but each sinner has to agree with God and come the way God has made the provision through Jesus Christ, not anything else. Prayer is a command of God and commanded by Jesus. Listen to Jesus in Luke 18.1. Men ought always to pray. The word out there is obligation, duty. Prayer is an obligation to God. We are to live in an attitude of prayer. We'll have different types of prayers. We've talked about that. But in an attitude of prayer dependent on him. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says that we may pray without ceasing. Again, we have our times of prayer. doesn't mean we pray 24-7, but we're in an attitude of prayer. As you're driving down the street, whatever you're depending on the Lord. You see something, something comes up, you shoot an emergency prayer. Call out to God. Simple. Prayer is to be regular practice, but it marks a total dependency as our attitude is towards God. Many Christians are taken in by so-called Christian psychologists rather than taking their problems to God. And so they fall into this whole psycho-babble thing and they're trying to go through 12 steps and trying to go on their path to find out why it is that they ended up the way they are and why they did it and what went wrong. Listen to me. Sin is what destroys your life and mine. Self. And so when I come to Jesus Christ, he forgives me. All things are passed away. Everything becomes new. I don't look to the past. There's no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus. I'm a new creature. 
My sins have been cast as far as east as the west. Thank God he didn't say north and south. Buried in the deepest ocean, and he put a sign there, no fishing. What are you doing trying to analyze your past sins? He died for them. He forgave them. Oh, but I can't forgive myself. Shut up. You're the first one you'll forgive. But I have low self-esteem. No, you don't. Why do you have low self-esteem? Well, because I'm ugly. If you had low self-esteem and you hated yourself, you would be glad you're ugly. It's a joke. We love ourselves. That's the problem. Take the one step, the shortcut. Go to the cross. You won't come back. Not alive. (laughs) The gospel works, but you have to die to self. You have to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. And so the importance of prayer is undeniable. We need that, every one of us. Now, lastly, you have the importance of the word in the believer's life. Prayer, but now the word, because remember, prayer is a priority. The word is the means by which Jesus chose to sanctify the believer, as you know. The word of God reveals the spiritual and moral standards of God's word, which is his bride, the church, and she has to live by In John 17, 17, Jesus prayed to the Father, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy truth, or thy word is truth. Set them apart by the word to sanctify us unto him. This is the real Lord's prayer, not one that he taught the disciples. In John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, the Holy of Holies. Glorify me with the glory which I had before the world was. He was ready to go back to the Father. God has set us apart by himself, for himself, by his word. Paul declared that Jesus would present himself a bride without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing by the washing of the water by the word. Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, the word of God. Have you ever been out of fellowship with God due to sin? Then confess and receive cleansing and renewal of you? There's a big difference, huh? It's a cleansing, a refreshment. Paul says the word is transforming our minds. To prove what is that good except in the perfect will of God in Romans 12, 1 and 2. The word of God does that. God's will is found in the word of God, as I said. God's mind becomes ours by the Holy Spirit. He transforms us in his incredible work. The word equips the same for ministry and maturity in Christ. For they find the body of Christ, Ephesians 4, 12 through 13, as you know. Growth is needed for every believer. Developing spiritually, no one's the exception. Maturity must exist as you're pressing forward. The various levels of maturity are necessary in your life and everybody in the church. No one's the exception. Today, we do not have a real hunger and thirst for growth. As I said, people want to be entertained. If you can think back of the time when they were Parents, grandparents, uncles, and families got together and they existed in that form of the family structure. Today is very hard to have them all. But every one of those members of the family were there to instruct and to add to the growth, development, maturity of the younger kids. They hit them from every angle. And because those family members are not always in a unit anymore, then individual kids don't get that instruction and example from every angle. You see? In the same way in the church. It's important. As we grow in the word, then we're not tossed to and fro with every one of doctrine, Ephesians 4.14. We can detect there. We don't have to be sucked in. 
If I'm not grounded in the word of God, then I'm a candidate for deception because I don't know how to check things. Without God's word, people may be sincere, but they'll end up sincerely wrong and lost and deceived. So this is the standard. This is the plumb line, not my opinions. The word of God is a two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12, piercing the sun of the soul and the spirit. But also the word is illuminating, and it's illuminated and taught by the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the Holy Spirit. They both go together. This is God's revelation, and the third person of the Trinity is the one that turns the light on. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through, through 16 speaks about, I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And he goes on to speak how the natural man does not accept the things of God. He rejects them. He thinks of foolishness, but the spiritual man understands and judges all things. And then he finishes by saying, you have the mind of Christ. So if you're a Christian, you have the mind of Christ. What we need to do is put it on. The natural man does not receive the things of God. The spiritual man receives all things. He believes the word of God to be God's revelation. And so the believer has an unction, we're told in 1 John 2, 20, an anointing that he needs no man teach him. You have the word of God. You have the spirit of God. You have the mind of Christ. You can study the word of God. You don't need me. You can study it also. You can have God speak to you. You can do inductive Bible study. You can come to the proper interpretation if you do good inductive study. You're a Christian just like me. I don't have anything over on you. Now, that does not mean we're not to sit under a pastor teacher. We don't have to go to the church because the Bible says we're to gather together, not forsake the gathering of the saints. And he gives different um, gifts, of pastor, teacher, evangelist, so on and so forth, the perfecting of the saints there in Ephesians 4. So we understand those gifts. God has given you some gifts for the glory of God and for the edification of the church. So the Holy Spirit never reveals anything contrary to the word of God. The Holy Spirit illuminates the word of God. God is not the author of confusion. God's word is valid only in its context, not out of its context. So often legalistic views of dress or makeup or jewelry or stuff like that, they're taken out of context. And that's legalism. The Bible doesn't say that you can't do none of those things. But Moses took that jewelry away from them because they were worshiping idols with them. That's what it was about, okay? They made idols. And the impersonation of a, of a man for a woman or a woman for a man, that's the context of not wearing pants for a woman, okay? But it doesn't say that a woman can't wear pants. So everything's out of context. And too often the scriptures are twisted to one's own opinion or denominational stance. Now, the word establishes God's authority, not man's, and that's very important. Jesus said this in Matthew 59, And in vain they worship me, teaching the doctrine of the commandments of man. So rather than teaching God's word or God's doctrine, they teach the commandments of man as a doctrine, and that's wrong. Paul warned the Colossians, Colossians 2.9, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of man, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So whatever I'm hearing, I need to look in the context, make sure it's in the context, and that's where it's coming from. Otherwise, anybody can rip anything out of context and say whatever they want. Paul tells us all scriptures given by inspiration of God. You're familiar with 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. Proper for doctrine, correction, and instruction that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, the men of old did not speak of their own impulse or origin, but they were carried along by the Spirit of God, so what you have in your lap is God's inerrant infallible truth, God's revelation, not man's opinion. So the Word reveals God in a personal way and demands a response. 
Romans 1, 16 and 17. The righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. That's why he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has declared that he made his son sin for us. And if we believe that he made him sin for us and raised him from the dead, we can be saved based on his atoning grace. I have to believe God's word. The means is by confession. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And the person of Christ is the word made flesh. God became flesh, John 1, 14. Jesus, the word, was with God from the beginning. He became flesh at a set time. And so the word is to be valued and preserved by the church. We are to hold fast the pattern of sound words, we're told in 2 Timothy 1.13. Hold fast to it. We are to take heed to ourselves and to the doctrine to continue them, for in doing so we will save ourselves and those who hear us. 1 Timothy 4.16. We're to pass on to others what we've learned in 2 Timothy 2.2. We are to contend for the faith delivered once and for all to the saints. Jude 3. It is through prayer and the word that we, the believer, and the church experience God's fellowship and transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit, the twins. Martin Luther put it this way. I study my Bible as I gather apples. First, I shake the whole tree that the ripest might fall. Then I shake each limb, and then I have shaken each limb. I take each branch and every twig. Then I look under every leaf. I search the Bible as a whole like shaking the whole tree. Then I shake every limb Study book after book. Then I shake every branch, giving attention to the chapters when they do not break the sense. Then I shake every twig or a careful study of the paragraphs, the sentences, and the words and their meanings. He does good inductive Bible study. Great illustration. Now, the newborn believer is compared to the newborn babe, as you know. And uh, he has a potential for growth. When you bring a baby home from the hospital, you know, you don't give him steak, you give him milk, right? So 1 Peter 2, 2, desiring the unadulterated word of God, milk. Milk is proper food for an infant, provides all the necessary nourishment and everything it needs. As his digestive tract begins to develop, then he moves on to more solid foods. But he begins with milk. And it is God's unadulterated milk, the word of God, that which he has given that causes us to grow. So we must read the Bible. For everyone who partakes only in milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, Hebrews 5.13 says. So you don't want to stay as a babe. It's a legitimate stage for a little while, but you don't want to stay there. You want to grow and mature to learn more about the word. The believer must go then from infanthood to young believers, 1 John 2.12-13. It's great to go from a baby then to a kid and then to a teenager, right? you got to progress forward. John gives all three stages. I write these things to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. So nourishment is very essential. Food, the word of God. Being alive and staying healthy in the spirit. By going to the word, being passionate to grow. I am part of that. 
It doesn't happen automatically. Development has to be progressive and growth, okay? Growth is one. Development is, means that all the portions of your body are developing at the same time. You'd want to make sure that one arm isn't longer than the other on your kid, right? So you look at the development, make sure it's in proportion. But you also want maturity. There's a distinction between growth and development. They're both necessary, but you also want maturity. And so with the Christian, you need all of those stages, a person who refuses to grow becomes a carnal Christian, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 2. They're born again, but they're still living under the desires and wishes of their old sin nature. Paul says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as unto spiritual people, but as unto carnal, as the babes in Christ. And even now, you are still not able, for you are still carnal. It's a tragic situation and condition that often Christians remain. The believer must move forward then from a young person then to fatherhood, continuing to nourish spiritual growth, being that example, being strong, looking to Christ, being victorious through the word, through prayer, continuing in maturity and development as you press forward and developing. The believer can only grow in faith in a personal relationship as they depend upon Jesus Christ over and over again through the word, not emotions, not feelings. And so in spiritual capacity, he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, 5 through 9, he says, but also, for this very reason, give all diligence to add to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his sins. So we must continue. We must press forward in Christ Jesus. Peter warns us in 2 Peter 3, 17 through 18. Listen to him. He says, You therefore, beloved, since you know all these things beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory for now and forever. Amen. He's talking to Christians. Lest you be ensnared with the heirs of the wicked. You must continue to grow. And so, even as Paul said, he pressed on. He had not arrived. But he forgot one thing. Those things were behind pressing forward. Things were ahead. That he might lay hold on that for which he was called for. And certainly, no one's sufficient in and of themselves apart from Jesus Christ. So the new birth is the primary foundational truth. And then you have prayer and the word. The believers to grow, he goes from milk to solid food, growing from day to day. And so the importance of the word in a believer's life is invaluable. We must grow. So prayer and the word as we see, are the two life-transforming twins in the New Testament, evident by the importance of prayer and the Word in the New Testament church. It's unmistakable as you read the book of Acts. The importance of prayer in the believer's life is undeniable, both from Scripture and from personal experience in life. And the importance of the Word in the believer's life is invaluable. Without the Word, you don't know what to do. You don't know what pleases God. You can't separate them. They're Siamese twins. And so may God minister to our heart as we continue 
to grow, depending on prayer and the Word. Pastor Xavier Ruiz closes off today's program with the simple truth about the two essential elements of living a fulfilled life. By the way, you can hear this presentation, as with all our broadcasts, on demand at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But if you'd like to request your own personal copy of today's important study, it's called The Life-Transforming Twins of the Church. And as always, they're available on CD for just $4. And everything we heard last time on this important aspect of Christian living, prayer, and God's Word, will be included as well on one single disc. Now, the title to ask for once again is The Life-Transforming Twins of the Church. Request yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Many in the world are suffering from famine, health problems, and the economic woes of our time. But what's the most important issue for the church today? Join Pastor Xavier Reese for the answer next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com